The idea of having an uncomfortable conversation is never easy. But while they might be hard, the truth is they're absolutely necessary. And odds are the thing we've been putting off is often what needs to be done most. For the people who radically shift the direction of their lives, there is one conversation that is both the hardest to have and the most important. It requires us to stop looking at the world moving a million miles an hour around us and instead search for what lies within. What happens and who will you become when you're willing to change everything? This episode is about the conversation that starts answering that question. Welcome, listener, to the finale of season one of Subject Matter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of season one of Subject Matter. This is episode 15, and boy, do we have a great conversation for you about uncomfortable conversations. But before we get into that, I need to go and say hello to my co-host, Tom Worcester. How are you doing today, my man? Ben, is that the uncomfortable question? Because I've heard that one a couple times this week. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I am excited that we're hitting the end and our finale so we can go start those new beginning. But first, I want to turn it back to you. Now, we often ask questions on subject matter about how we've learned, grown, or achieved this week. For once, let's turn around and turn back that clock. In honor of the season finale... What has working on subject matter taught you and the duration of the season arc? That's a great question, Tom. Well, if I cast my mind back almost four months ago now, and I'm thinking about my writing, I'm writing with purpose. I'm writing to inspire and I'm writing about what is interesting to me. But what has certainly changed now coming full circle to the end of this season Subject matter has taught me to be more intentional with my messaging. You can't create a podcast without making a point. And when I was making my writing before, I was just hoping the conclusions would come. But now it's the other way around. I work out what point I'm trying to make and then engineer stories around that point to add the color. It's improved the clarity of my messaging for sure. And it's a principle I'm going to be taking forward into season two. But no more spoilers on that for now. Tom, I've got the same question for you. What's changed in this arc of subject matter for you? I believe I'm your opposite, Ben. Just as you focused on telling the point, I'm working on simplifying mine. Using easier speech, being able to communicate at a peak state, simplifying my ideas and slowing everything down so I get my point across. So not working back from the point, but rather giving the point a place with which to live. Now, both of these realizations of how to tell a better story actually come from being willing to have tough conversations of how to get better in the first place. These tough conversations ignite growth. And that's what we're discussing this episode, listeners. The fact that facing up to uncomfortable conversations isn't just necessary, it's probably the thing we need to do most of all. If we can learn to not just embrace discomfort, but instead actively seek it, we can show up in the world how we truly want to be seen and live life on our own terms. As we'll see, there's one conversation that each of us has to really have. Without it, we can only go and grow so far. That makes it totally necessary, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. But before we get there, Tom, slow down. Let's take a step back. 
We need to see why uncomfortable conversations are so impactful in the first place. And today, we begin in the land where people dream of seeing their name in lights. It's Hollywood. And with this subject matter season finale coming out in mid-February, Oscar season is right around the corner. Now, usually superhero films aren't exactly known to shine here. They might get a nomination for best special effects, but are usually, notably, forgotten. But one film that came out last year has shattered that trend, with six Oscar nominations in 2019, including Best Picture. It is Wakanda's very own Black Panther. There's no doubt Black Panther lived up to the hype. It shattered box office numbers, becoming Marvel's highest grossing movie domestically to date, but it wasn't in the cinema where Black Panther's impact was felt most. It was the uncomfortable conversations it generated off screen that mattered the most. And if you haven't seen Black Panther, it's the first ever superhero movie to feature an almost exclusively black cast. Unfortunately, there have been long-held doubts over how lucrative casting black leads could actually be in Hollywood. Discussing the role race plays in a movie is an uncomfortable conversation indeed, but it is, without a doubt, in my mind, completely necessary. Black Panther didn't just subtly start the conversation. It forced filmmakers to face their long-held assumptions head-on. Before the movie was released, the team behind it launched a strategic marketing campaign which included grassroots initiatives and GoFundMe campaigns that would ensure as many children and adults as possible could experience the wonder of Wakanda. Plus, it was released during Black History Month. Need I say more? This was a movie that didn't just break records, listener. It broke down barriers about what success meant in Hollywood. For the first time, black children had a superhero they could truly relate to. Black Panther started an uncomfortable conversation that not everybody wanted to have. But in the end, the conversation became a matter of when it would happen and not if. The film has now become a clear model for black actors to demonstrate that the color of their skin does not limit how much money a film can make. In fact, the truth is the complete reverse. A black cast can be highly profitable. Black Panther caused commotion, controversy, and cultural upheaval. In an industry dominated by white actors, Black Panther is a statement as much as it is a success. Why do uncomfortable conversations matter then? Because the result often changes fundamental societal narratives that impact not just the current world, but future generations too. That's yours and my children, listeners. It will always be easier not to have them and to shrink back. The status quo is sadly usually convenient, but by pushing them into the limelight, we can plant the seed of change. And as we know, it's change and only change that allows us to become the best version of ourselves. Ben, Black Panther's success created a necessary conversation around a real problem. And sometimes the most important conversations will have to tackle negative issues. But your story oversimplifies. This is one track of many. We can channel the same discomfort of this new type thing to show up in the world we really want to. Let's look to the social psychologist and the number one New York Times bestselling author, Breen Brown. Her work 
rooted in the psychology of courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, shows us how this can happen. It's common to think of the idea of being scared or being courageous as two entirely separate things. We either stand up to a problem or run away from it, fight or flight. But according to Brown, this traditional thought pattern simply doesn't work. Letting ourselves choose between being courageous or scared doesn't work. A choice of fight versus a choice of flight are different things. In fact, most of us are actually afraid and brave at the same time. Take two situations, the hero and the coward facing the same one. Now, they feel the same thing when confronted with a new stimulus. Imagine turning a corner and seeing the building that you live in on fire down the street. Both the hero and the coward will initially feel surprise and fear, but it's what they do in that second moment, how they react to the stimulus that makes them different. It's what one person chooses to do that makes them a hero and run into the burning building. And it's what the other person doesn't do that makes them a coward and turn away. Brian Brown's work shows us that choosing courage over comfort may be uncomfortable, but it's a choice that we have to make in order to grow. Plus, you can't just numb the bad emotions. It works both ways. If you block out vulnerability and shame, you end up numbing happiness and joy too. Countless alcohol and drug addicts can testify to that. Opening up won't be easy for everyone, but by being truly vulnerable, we open the door for flourishing later. So instead, allow yourself to surrender and embrace your vulnerability. If it feels scary, remember that you're actually making the choice to be courageous. You fully own that. And in doing this, you're never alone. Every single other person alive or dead in the course of human history is in the exact same position as you. The choice, which one will you make? So being vulnerable may be uncomfortable, but it allows you to let go of who you think you should be in order to show who you really are. Whether or not to embrace your vulnerability, there's your ultimate question. Connecting the dots of who you are with the way the world sees you is its own form of ultimate freedom. Connection is how we're wired. And true, Tom, it might be uncomfortable letting yourself open up. I get that. But it's not just about being vulnerable with yourself either. Sitting alone with yourself with a notebook in a dark room is one thing, but being vulnerable with others is the key to great connection. And in fact, this was frankly the most important lesson I learned in just under a year in New York City. In a six minute conversation with someone I'd never met before, I had one of the most meaningful conversations of my life. It nearly moved me to tears, and it opened my eyes to the power of empathetic curiosity all in one fell swoop, and all in just six minutes. I learned that day that there are two kinds of curiosity. The first is data gathering. So if we're speaking, and you've heard that I've just lost my job, you might ask me, have you got a job lined up? How long were you at the job? Are you looking for a new one? These are fact-gathering binary questions. But actually, they're completely useless. 
They don't form connection because they don't put you in the other person's shoes. Whether I have a job lined up next or not does not give you a glimpse at my true character. But then there's this second kind of curiosity, the empathetic kind. And it's not as comfortable as data gathering questions, but it allows you to form real connections. Instead of just seeking answers, you actually become curious about the other person's feelings. And that is what happened in this conversation. I just had a conversation like any other, but for two simple rules. The first, any question you had to ask had to start with the same three words. What's it like? And those three words, what's it like, gave the person responding the choice to be vulnerable, to put themselves out there. And then the second rule was respond with, if I were you, I imagine I would feel. And that combination, that beautiful recipe is putting yourself in the other person's shoes. It's empathetic curiosity. Now, it might be uncomfortable allowing yourself to be this vulnerable. But the truth is, data gathering curiosity might get you facts, but it certainly will never get you feelings. And it's only through this empathetic communication that we can hope to see the world from different perspectives than our own. We humans are emotional creatures, and only by forcing ourselves to operate on that plane, to push the locus of our discomfort and empathize by putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, can we hope to form real connection. There's a difference between listening and listening. And if you can be vulnerable enough to try and understand someone else's perspective, then empathy really can be your secret weapon too. Ben, your story reminds me of a quote from Tim Ferriss. A person's success in life can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. But Ben, we can go deeper here. What if, instead of simply embracing the discomfort as it comes to us in conversation, we look to actively seek it in wider areas of our lives. Because vulnerability isn't just a good conversation over coffee. Instead, it serves as the framework by which you can approach new experiences. Let's face it, change is good, but new is scary. New makes you, well, vulnerable. What if you mess up? What if something goes wrong? What if you embarrass yourself? You're not as powerful or stable as you may have been before. But just like choosing courage over comfort, this is where we must make a choice. Letting ourselves be vulnerable to fail at new experiences is the key that unlocks faster learning and to ignite deep inner growth. Let's take something for example. I'm going to give you a choice of three experiences. Think about which one you would pick if you had to pick one of the three. Okay, option number one. Ask a total stranger on the street to go on a date. Option number two, don't eat anything, not even a power bar, for five days. Option number three, the third and final, visit the murder capital of the world in Colombia. Or worst of all, option number four, have to record a weekly podcast with some annoying New Yorker for 15 weeks straight. Touche, Bim. I'll pick option number four. But for the listeners, we've got three that we need to go back to. 
So would you ask a total stranger out to go on a date? Would you not eat anything for five days or visit the Myrtle capital of the world? Odds are you probably didn't jump at one of those options. They may do anything from make you cringe from awkwardness to, at the very least, stir up some feelings of discomfort, right? Am I about to be murdered in the murder capital of the world? Now, what if I told you there was a group of guys that have done all these things completely by choice? Introducing Yes Theory, a group of adventurers who live by a simple mantra. We believe life can be as authentic and fulfilling as you want, so long as you seek discomfort. By approaching each experience from a place of vulnerability, they allow themselves to push their comfort zone further and further every single time. And to be honest with you, listener, we've done something very similar with subject matter. When we agreed to start this nearly six months ago, Ben and I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We weren't podcasters, but we knew that we may have the potential to be. By actively looking for something beyond our comfort zone, we pushed the boundaries of what we actually thought was possible in the first place. As a result, we're better communicators, we have a new window into the world of developing media products, and most importantly, we've had to be vulnerable about many of our own core beliefs in order to hold a genuine conversation. This podcast is living proof of the fact that hard conversations often produce the results that ignite lasting growth. Tom, that's a great message, but you're still missing something. Seeking discomfort through experiences misses a fundamental point on all of our journeys. In fact, listeners, we've left the hardest conversation we can all have till the very end, quite on purpose. And that is not with your friends, your spouse, or even your family. It is with your greatest ally and enemy all at once. You guessed it, it's with yourself. To see this in action, let's look at the stories of two people. Two lives, two tales, two totally different realities. The first person looks happy. They make lots of money, they have a big house, and they have lots of friends surrounding them. But beneath the surface, things aren't quite as they seem. The job they have, while being well-paid, is highly monotonous, and there's immense pressure. They're stressed all the time doing work they don't really care about. But worse than that is their golden handcuffs. They're so accustomed to their lifestyle that they couldn't leave for a job they actually like because it wouldn't pay nearly as well and it wouldn't support that lifestyle. And as a result, they're depressed, they're disillusioned, and they're heading for disaster. Now, the second person also makes lots of money. They have the big house and they have plenty of friends too. But this person wakes up every day with a smile on their face. They go to work for a job they genuinely love, surrounded by people that push them forward. And while it's still hard, and we remind you that creating impact will always be challenging, they know that the struggle is in service of a greater cause. So why am I telling you this? Because there's a small but highly important difference between the two. One person never faced up to the reality they live in, while the other has taken the time to have a hard but necessary conversation with themselves to figure out who they are and what they actually want from life. 
And we simply call these listeners your non-negotiables. These are two people, the same house, the same financial situation, but a completely different result on the happiness equation. Now, let me be clear that just because this is a simple difference doesn't make it at all easy. This process is uncomfortable, which is why so many people haven't done it up till now. But to make sure that you fall on the right side of the happiness equation, you need to take an honest look at where your life is going. And it comes down to one simple question. If you stopped lying to the world about who you are, what could you really become? Ben? I think it's finally time to share the story of how subject matter really started. Tom, for once, I think you might be right. The truth is, listeners, I was on the wrong side of the happiness equation, and I didn't know what was coming next in my life. And so to find my answer, I turned to vulnerability. When Ben and I first met, we mentioned that we met at a conference for young entrepreneurs. But we had a feeling that after that first conversation, we needed to get far deeper. That required stepping away from a busy conference room and into the dining room. We went to the Smith in New York City for what was supposed to be a 30-minute lunch to introduce ourselves fully. Two hours later, we had a better idea. When I met Ben, under this context, he told me about how he wanted to impact 1 million lives. But he didn't realize that there was a disconnect between his current path and the path of reaching 1 million lives. So, out of that conversation, we jumped into a room in a WeWork, fittingly, to figure out how to bridge that gap of disconnection that currently existed in his life. And not only did we determine Ben's optimal path forward, but we discovered a framework for a powerful two-pronged assault on his assumption that would allow us to drill down on what really mattered. These two prongs we call the path of character and the path of tangibility. I had one of the most uncomfortable conversations of my life that day. I admit it. Exposing my deepest desires to someone I had just met was one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done to this day. But I still remember that day like it was yesterday. It was one of the most impactful things that I've ever done by far. And having an acute understanding of who I really am and what sets me on fire gave me complete clarity on what work and activities should actually get my time, energy, and attention, and what absolutely should not as well. And suddenly, from that conversation with Tom, I felt purposeful in my direction. So what sets Ben on fire? For him, that's telling stories that matter. For him, that's engaging in his ultimate skill of writing. And once we had an understanding of that, we then had to connect it to real things to make sure that his core beliefs were being represented and acted on in a proper way. Having a thorough understanding of what Ben actually did for his career was a great starting point. But to complete the process, we needed to convert his core beliefs into action. We had to do and figure out what Ben must do in order to live the next two years in a way that aligns with those beliefs and so he can set himself on fire more often. I'm taking away the gasoline this time though. So introducing the path of tangibility. What do you need versus what do you want? And how does that work under the umbrella of what you truly believe? 
With this framework, we can now practically assess whether Ben was heading toward making the goal that really mattered happen or not. So let's take a step back. Ben's core beliefs were set around helping to tell other people's stories and his on-fire medium of writing. Within this, he needed to write four more pieces of content a month and produce those. He needed to complete a course structure before April at the time of the conversation. He needed to generate an additional 100 email subscribers a month to set a growth trajectory that could scale. Notice how every single one of those goals, it's pretty tangible and pretty achievable. We can clearly see if Ben is making progress or not, because what gets measured gets managed. Now, what happens when all these things go well? Well, we still got to pay the bills. You still got to pay rent. So he needed to do all these things to generate a minimum livable amount. The trajectory of measuring these things would then improve on top of that minimum livable amount so that Ben Bradbury on the other side of this wasn't just doing what he loves as outlined by his core beliefs, but he's also doing what he loves and have it be stable financially. When you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. So how do you connect your core beliefs to the things that absolutely set you on fire? so that you can benchmark that progress in a direction that leaves you ultimately content. Question your key assumptions. Push further. Go deeper. Have uncomfortable conversations with yourself in many different veins. By the end of our framework, Ben had a practical roadmap showing him the goals he needed to work towards in order to live his life in the highest state possible. That's powerful. It was powerful indeed, Tom, because... By going through this process, at the end of our 10-hour meeting together, I could finally shrug off the shackles of imposter syndrome and thinking that I wasn't worthy of my achievements that I'd got to that day. And finally, through vulnerability and an uncomfortable conversation, I embraced my own story and realized that I am worthy of everything I've achieved. I could silence my inner critic and start focusing on building my dreams. Turning inwards to discover what makes up the essence of your being will never be an easy conversation, listener. But if you can take the time to fully understand what makes your character flourish and what you need in order to live life to the fullest over the next few years, you will be richly rewarded. You can join the handful of people who don't just let life happen to them, but rather take the reins of their destiny and blaze their own trail. We promise you that creating your life framework will be one of the best investments you make this year. And we'll be right alongside you every step of the way. And in the spirit of this episode finale, we have just one final bonus question for you. Which episode did you grow the most from just by being a part of one side of the debate? Did you find fear as something that was holding you back? Or did fear become a force for growth? Is giving away value the best way to get ahead? Or is it better to be intentional about what we really want in the first place? Is it better to seek people who think radically different than you? Or to find those that think the same so as to deepen your vertical knowledge? Should you break the rules or follow them first? Which do you prioritize, ambition or happiness? Do the best decisions come from data or your gut? Will intent fuel your impact more than authenticity? At what point does knowledge lead to ego? Ooh, one of my favorites right here. 
How can you make 2019 the year and not just a year? Do we ever truly make our own luck or is it just down to perception? Perception is powerful. What really is the most powerful perspective to live our life by? Should you seek out your mentors or become one yourself? And how can you use the three pillars that control your life to create success along with stability? In this world of clickbait headlines, fake news, and regurgitated opinions on social media, subject matter stands for everything we need to be. As a society, we've become dangerously short-term in our thinking, reacting to whatever is around the corner. We're here to change that trend. We are not slaves to our own desires. We have the power, the ability, and the capability to think for ourselves. Together, we can develop the society we live in into the world we dream of being a part of. Because when the subjects that matter are properly discussed, debated, and respected, there is no limit to what new ideas can be created and what change is therefore possible. If you're listening to this and you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for listening to however many episodes you've checked out. Tom and I have had a blast bringing season one of Subject Matter to life for you, our critical thinking listener. And we'll be taking a little break after this episode, but rest assured season two will be back bigger and better with more conflict and discussions to come. Oh, you can bet there will be conflict, Ben. Tom, I can always count on you for that, and there always should be. So thank you for listening to this episode and this season of Subject Matter listeners. If you have enjoyed what you've heard here today, we would love if you could subscribe over on iTunes or Spotify. That would really help us out to go and get found in those charts. And also, if you like what you've heard here today, we'd love to hear from you and find out what you enjoyed or even what you didn't enjoy. My Instagram is at Ben Bradbury. Tommy is at Real Tommy Bahama. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So once again, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next season for season two of Subject Matter.